just love the words to, to that song, Lord. You, you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, and you're wonderful, Lord. So I pray today, Lord, that you would uh, bless the reading of your word and ask you that you would uh, open our eyes and show us the things that you would like for us to see this morning. In Jesus' name. There's a there's a book called The Fingerprint of God written by Ron Rice and uh, he in this in this uh, book he he relays this story he was assisting a, a surgeon a heart surgeon and it's, he says he had me reach into the patient's chest and turn his heart so he could work on it from a better angle and as as I gingerly swiveled it he said how does it feel to hold to hold a man's beating heart in your hand And in spite of our manipulations, the man's heart just kept thumping as billions of tiny heart cells communicated and coordinated their activities. The the cells in your heart, he says, rhythmically contract in unity, acting together to produce a heartbeat. And these living cells are separated from the heart. If they are separated from the heart in a test tube, they keep beating, but they, they will instinctively do this, but not in coordination with each other. So if they're separated, they keep beating, but not together. But if the cells are brought back together in contact with one another, the instant they touch, the contractions again become synchronized. That's the nature of heart cells, he says. Individual heart cells cannot accomplish their God-given function alone. They were designed to be one of many cells in one heart. And while they serve a unique function in the body, they're not useful if they don't communicate and coordinate their efforts. If the members of an entire body don't communicate, life's not possible. A single heart cell working alone cannot pump blood to the body no matter how hard it tries. It needs the other cells to fulfill its purpose. There's a consistent pattern found in all living bodies, he says, the, the only way a body can survive is through its many members working together. All living bodies have communication among the members. And we can, we can apply this to the church. If the church is going to be healthy, we need to have unity, just like those, those heart cells working together. We, we need each other. We, we cannot live the Christian life as individuals by ourselves alone we're we're made for each other and Jesus had this intense desire for us to be one to to be together to to have unity just as he said he and the father were one he he prayed for us to the father that we would have the same sort of unity that he has with the father and as we continue this morning in the uh, the letter to the Philippians uh, we we see Paul's plea for unity in the church. So please open your Bibles to the epistle to the Philippians. And we're going to start reading today in chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And we'll stop there. So Paul just finished up chapter 1 talking about how we live the gospel. Remember, we're gospel people. We, how we live among others in, in a manner which uh, he says is worthy of the gospel. Standing together, side by side, for the faith of, of the gospel. And by the way, this is, uh, this is the challenging thing about God's word. Uh, you know, this, this is talking about, in very practical terms, how we should live. You know, Dan just prayed that we would uh, be doers of the word and, and not just hearers. That's God's desire. That's his uh, command for us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging because the, the natural human tendency is that we don't like to be told what to do, do we? We, we'd rather uh, be given things in a, in a sermon or, or in a book or whatever, things just to think about, perhaps, things to know, just knowledge. But, you know, the, uh, the purpose of, of preaching is it goes way beyond just presenting information. It goes into the need for transformation. God's word needs to change us, brothers and sisters. It needs to transform us. And uh, I, I ran across a, a verse in 2 Timothy 2.7 this week where, where Paul tells Timothy to, to think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You know, he's saying mull over this stuff. Think about it. Contemplate it. Maybe meditate, meditate on it this week as, as we, uh, we go out our own ways. So Paul talks about living the gospel. And next, here in verse 2, he progresses to the next step. He, he starts this next section with the word, therefore. You know, so that, that connects it to what he just said. Based on the things he just said, you know, the things that follow in, in the next one verse, in fact, there's a whole bunch of words that he, that he gives us. The things that follow are the things that we should have in Christ. As Christians, being in Christ, these, these are the things we have. Now the word, the word translated if here, where it says if there is any encouragement in Christ and so on. This word if says, it's a, it's a condition. It's, it's the Greek word I. It's a, it's a marker of, of condition, and it could be uh, either in, existing in fact or hypothetical. He's saying if this stuff is true, and if we're in Christ, it is true. It could be translated since, since this is true. If it's true that we're in Christ, then let's look at what follows as a result. So, if, uh, if we're not in Christ, then none of this makes sense. It, it doesn't apply, does it? 
But if we are in fact in Christ, let's let's look at these things. And, and there's five of them. Paul, Paul lists five things here. These are the things that we have in Christ as we live together in, in unity and harmony. Now, the emphasis here is uh, not necessarily so much on our, our personal lives as it is our, our corporate life as a church. As we live together, these are the things that, that are true about us if we are, in fact, in Christ. This is the life of the church. This is part of what it means to be in Christ to be a member of, of his body, to, to be under his headship. So this, the first thing he brings up is encouragement. You know, this, this word carries the meaning of emboldening each other, uh, lifting each other's spirits, exhorting one another. Uh, this, this might be uh, uh, paraphrased as, as mutual strength, mutual strength as we stand together. You know, when we come together, what's our attitude? What's our attitude towards each other? Do we, do we come here and, and ask, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Or do we come up, do we come here asking, uh, you know, what can I do to lift up my brother or sister in Christ? How can I encourage, how can I help my fellow believer get closer to Christ? Or do we come here looking for things to complain about? Uh, you know, maybe... Uh, Maybe you don't like the music. I can't imagine today saying that, but uh, you know, more likely, maybe maybe the sermon didn't meet your expectations. Maybe you didn't like the presentation. Maybe you didn't like the the content. But healthy life in the body of Christ requires us to to build each other up, to come together and give mutual encouragement and strength, not tear each other down. I gave you a little preview in, in, in an email this, this week about this. Christian maturity requires us to put the other person in, in front of ourselves. Now, when I was doing software development, uh, you got to understand, I don't know if there's any uh, software developers in here, but they tend to have very big egos. And uh, so, you know, if there, was a, if there was a problem to be solved, uh, most people would have a real strong desire to be a hero, to be the one to get the credit of, of solving that problem. You know, they were, they were quick to uh, point out each other's mistakes, quick to uh, elevate their, their own achievements and, and make, make their uh, hero status known. But, you know, this kind of attitude was really kind of uh, damaging to, to our mission, which was to develop quality software that worked well. You know, we worked better as a team if we worked together, but that was a rare thing. Uh, well, you know, the same thing can happen in a church. If our, if our egos are, are large, the, the mission suffer. The mission suffers. You know, if, it, if it's all about me, if it's all about me, I'm going to fail. <laughs> If it's all about each one of us individually, we're, we're going to fail as a church in our mission, which is to make disciples, to bring people to the Lord, to, to build up and edify each other, helping, helping each other grow. Now, the next thing that should be true of us if we're in Christ is that we should have comfort from love. 
Paul says, comfort from love. And, you know, this word in in the original language means uh, that which offers encouragement and and consolation and alleviation. Uh, it's, It's solace afforded by love. So, you know, we need to ask ourselves, has, has Christ's love for us made us made a difference in our lives? Has, has it made a difference in how we look at each other, how we regard each other when they're down? Do we, do we have mutual affection? Uh, folks, there, there are people who are hurting all around us. There are people who are hurting in this room. There are people who hurt outside of outside of this building in our community who are in pain and, and need help. This is what we should have, comfort from love. That's God's very nature, isn't it? Love. We're told that, that God is love. And uh, Paul describes this, this comfort in love in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. He says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and, the God, our, and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Next is uh, participation in the Spirit. And uh, we we talked about the, the Greek word koinonia, I believe, last week. Uh, remember, it, it refers to a, a very close relationship. It's, it's fellowship, communion together. This is, this is spiritual fellowship, koinonia in the spirit. Uh, you know, what, what is the basis of our fellowship here as the church? We're, we're not a social club. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're here because of, of what we share, of who we share the spirit of of god you know we're a we're a community of differing people we're all different sizes and shapes and uh we we have different viewpoints many times different backgrounds uh different personalities different ages uh we may differ in in some things but uh you know what? What does it bring? What is it that brings us together, despite all of these differences? You know, we're we're a community that is brought together on the basis of the new birth in Christ, of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're we're brothers and sisters who have all been adopted into this family. This is the participation in the Spirit. You know, aren't aren't we here to? Enjoy God's presence with us. That's what we have through the Holy Spirit. You know, we're again, we're not, we're not a social club. We're not here to uh, to join together to promote some social cause. Uh, we're, you know, the world is full of things like this: fraternal organizations, uh, clubs, societies, unions, guilds. Uh, and I think people are, are drawn to these things because there is an innate desire in us to have fellowship. I believe that God, that, that is something that God has given us. You know, a, a desire to, to be part of something that's bigger than, than ourselves. For someone who doesn't have Christ, these social clubs and, and unions and things are probably the best they can expect. 
But we are in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Next, Paul mentions affection. Now, this is, this is a heartfelt response towards someone. That, that <laughs> The word literally means bowels, like uh, your, your intestines, your, your guts, uh, your inward parts, uh, which for us is kind of weird. Uh, in fact, it's the same word that's, that's used when uh, in, in Acts 1 where it's speaking of uh, Judas who, who be- betrayed Christ. It said this man acquired a field with the uh, reward of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. <laughs> it's the same word that Paul is using here for, for affection. And so in the ancient, in the ancient world, uh, the, the inward most parts were considered to be the, the seat of our emotions, the seat and, and just the container of our, our deepest uh, longings and, and desires. Uh, sometimes we, sometimes translators, well, in fact, versus bowels, they'll, they'll use the word heart, and that means something more to us, but it means the same thing. It's the same word. It's the, the source and the seat of love and sympathy and, and mercy these kind of emotions towards each other. Uh, look how John uses this word in First uh, John 3.17. First John 3.17, he says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in, needs, in need, yet closes his heart, that's the word, literally it closes his bowels against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us... Not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, should we not experience from each other and, and towards each other this same sort of compassion and mercy that Jesus showed to us? Uh, again, the same word is used in uh, Matthew nine thirty-five through thirty-six. This time it's, it's translated compassion. It said, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, I was I was thinking of this one guy. His his name is uh, Paul Hole. He lives in a small town in South Texas called Pleasanton. It sounds that sounds like it'd be a really nice place, Pleasanton, Pleasant Town. But it's it's a place kind of desolate out in the desert. It's an oil town that's in the uh, bus cycle, and it's really kind of a depressing little place. And Paul was uh, driving Chris and I around, just kind of showing us the the place. And I remember. Uh, he was he was driving through these these neighborhoods there were where there were some houses people actually living in the houses and he just kind of almost broke down in tears and said all these people in these houses so many of them are lost so many people heading towards an eternity uh, w- without Christ you know and you just see the compassion in in his eyes and and in, and hear it in his voice you know this this was that this was that uh compassion affection that that Paul's talking about right here
Finally, sympathy. Now, this this is related to to the last one. It, it means a display or concern over another's misfortune, uh, pity, mercy, compassion. So both both of those words sometimes are translated compassion. And the subtle difference between these two words is that this this word that Paul uses that's translated sympathy is is more talking about acts of mercy, you know, act, actions. Of, of mercy versus a, a feeling. And um, the uh, the Greek word is used in the uh, Septuagint, which, remember, is the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. This was, you know, for the Gentile Christians in the first century, this was their Old Testament. You know, they didn't know Hebrew. They knew Greek, so... They had this, and it's it's interesting because we we could see the same words that were transla- translated from Hebrew into Greek, and see how they understood these words. And uh, in Psalm forty eleven, the word is translated mercy. Forty eleven, it says, "As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me." So. This this list of words, a whole bunch of words in, in verse 1, you know, normally I think when we come across a verse like that, we just kind of read it real fast and, and gloss over it, but it's, it's full of, of, of meaning, very deep meaning. It gives us insight into uh, God's character. It gives us insight into who Christ is and who we should be if we are being conformed to the image of Christ. It shows who we should be and how we should be, the things that characterize us being in Christ together and how we should think of each other, feel about each other, treat each other. They characterize us because we're in Christ. And what Paul presents next is, you know, what the, uh, what the result should be now in very practical terms. What are the expectations that Christ has of us if those things are true, if we actually, in, in fact, are in Christ, you know, we need to do a gut check here. We need, to, we need to honestly evaluate ourselves. Paul says to complete my joy in, in the following manner. So the, the, the first of these expectations is unity. Let's look at verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And of one mind. We have four things there. Let's look at each one of them. He says, first, be of the same mind. We need to be united in our, our purposes, our purpose, our, our motivations. What, you know, why are we here in this church in March 2021, right now, today, on this Sunday morning? Why are we here? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Uh, you know, why as individuals are each of us part of this this uh, local body you know hopefully not for anything less than to bring glory to Christ um, you know we're working together for for the good of the body you know we're not we're, again we're not we're not here to be entertained we're not here to be uh, pumped full of facts and and knowledge 
There's, there's a lot of knowledge here to be gained, but why are we here? You know, we're not here to, to push our own agendas. We're not here to elevate ourselves and, and to uh, jockey for power and, and build up our own esteem. That's not why we're here. One good sign of, of being of the same mind is that we seek to, again, encourage each other, build each other up, bring edification, serve each other. Do we do that as a church? Paul says, don't just contemplate this. Don't just think about it. He says, be this way. Be of the same mind. Next next is the same love. This is, uh, in, in Greek, this word for love that he uses is, is agape. I think most of us are, are familiar with this word. You know, it's that quality of very warm regard, interest in each other, esteem, affection, love. It's a very deep love. Uh, it, it, it's a kind of love that uh, descri- describes very deep friendships. He says the same love. It's, it's mutual. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see the opposite in, in churches. We see people butting heads and, and fighting against each other. Uh, our current American culture reeks of this. You know, we, we see people combining together to do just the opposite, to, to bring discord and, and disharmony and, you know, coming together against people. Doesn't take long to find that on in, in the news. Doesn't take long to look on Facebook and, and find posts that are accusatory and, and uh, destructive towards other people. You know, we're we're the body of Christ. We're different. We're different. The next uh, thing in, in line with uh, having unity is, is being in full accord. When, when Chris and I lived in Arkansas, we used to enjoy going to these concerts. Arkansas Tech would uh, give these free concerts. It was it was great. These young men and women were excellent musicians. And my favorite was the uh, the jazz band, the big band. And uh, at, at the beginning, before the band would start playing, each one, each person would would be playing their own thing. You, maybe you've been to concerts where you hear this. People are, they're, they're tuning their instruments. They're warming up. You know, they're, the, the woodwinds are, they're, they're getting their, their reeds damp and, you know, just getting ready, just priming themselves. But it's sheer cacophony. It's horrible. It hurts your head to listen to this. But then the, uh, the conductor comes up and faces the band and it gets quiet perfectly quiet. You can hear a a pin drop. And then a couple seconds later, this awesome, beautiful music starts playing and each instrument is playing something different. Even the, you know, there's a a variety of instruments, but even within the same group of the same instrument, they're playing different things. Some are playing melody, some are playing harmony. We we have rhythm going on here and it's just so many different things going on, but they're all playing to produce this same song together, and it's beautiful. So, you know, u- unity is not uniformity. It would be very boring to go to a concert 
where every instrument was the same and every instrument was playing the same note, there, there would be no depth. There would be no richness to that music. For me, that's a, that's a great picture of what this uh, accord is, being in the same accord. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to watch the interactions between the, the players. I, I like to watch the uh, saxophone section. I used to play the saxophone. and There was this one guy in the band who would sometimes kind of, he, he, he'd play a solo. You know, they would take, dip, take turns playing solos. This guy would get going on his solo and he wouldn't quit. And you see the other saxophonist just kind of rolling their eyes, you know. Finally, he'd quit. But overall, when, when, when the players were playing the solos, their, their companions would give each other these affirming nods, you know, and these, these gestures like, yeah, go, you know, do it. It was beautiful to see. You know, people playing music together in one accord. And as, as fellow believers, how are we doing this? Are we, are we playing in one accord? Uh, or are we each doing our own thing and, and just making noise? Next, we're to be of one mind. Now, Paul just said we're to be of the same mind. Now he's saying of, we're, we, we're to be of one mind. It kind of sounds like the same thing, Right? Uh, we need to look at this and see what the what the importance is. Um, Paul talks elsewhere in Second Timothy two twenty four. He says something that kind of gives us a negative of, of this. He says, "The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but to be kind to everyone." You know, have you ever known anybody? And I know the answer is yes. Have you ever known anybody who just always argues, no matter what you say, you're wrong. Yeah, I know people like that too. They just disagree about everything. I don't know why. But, you know, this is talking about being of an agreeable disposition. All these things work together, you know. Those, these are the things that Paul has to say about unity. So, you know, he could have he just simply said, have unity, have humility. But no, he brings a lot of richness and, and, and depth into this. The, the second result, the second expectation we have is, as a church, as, as fellow believers, is humility. And let me say this. If we want unity in this church, we need to, there's a price we need to pay. There's a prerequisite, and that prerequisite, that price is humility. Let's read verse 2 again. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. No, not the, the, verse 3. Verse 3, I'm sorry. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What does this mean? Uh, the, the, the word for selfish ambition here is uh, strife, contentiousness, selfishness, conceit, uh, you know, a, a vain or, or exaggerated sense of self-worth. Paul says, don't do this. <laughs> he says, uh, don't do anything with, with these motives, you know, to whether whether we're, leaders or just 
not just, but, you know, we're elevated as, as members in the church. We're all important, but we're commanded to lay down our pride. We're commanded to, uh, to have humility. Uh, Paul in Romans 12, 9 to 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, in humility, Paul is saying here, put others above yourself. Count others as being more significant than you are. Are we good at this? I think this is something we all struggle with. Uh, what did Jesus say? When he's talking with his disciples about leadership, what kind of leaders should be in the church? This this is an interesting passage because his disciples, it says a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. <laughs> and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. You know, the the greatest will be the, the servant. That's humility. That's putting others above yourself. Uh, brothers and sisters, this, this is God's word for us. This is God's word for this church. We, we need to listen. He goes on. Paul goes on saying, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, this, this last week I was uh, down in um, down towards Valley talking to a pastor I know down there. We, we get together and pray sometimes. And um, he was asking me, how the, how's the house hunting going? And I was asking him, well, how's your house hunting going? And we're about kind of in the same boat right now. And we, we started talking about how um, we... A lot of times it's, it's pretty easy to recognize a Christian when you're doing business with him. He brought up the uh, the example of a car salesman. He said, the last time I bought a car, the, the salesman I bought it from was a Christian. And I could just tell he was concerned about my needs. He wasn't trying to be deceptive. He wasn't trying to, to squeeze every penny he could out of me. You know, he, he actually cared about me and gave me a pretty fair deal. And, uh, you know, in, in house hunting, that's... That's the philosophy I try to embrace is, you know, this, this should be a, a, a transaction that's fair to everybody. You know, I need to not only consider my own needs, but I need to consider the needs of the, the person who's selling the house. I need to consider the, the needs of the, uh, the real estate agent. You know, we should all, we should all benefit from this, this transaction. Um, you know, whether, um, when, when we're part of a church, you know, our, again, our, our attitude should never be, you know, what's, what's in it for me? What, what is the greatest benefit I can get, but yet disregarding the, the other people of the church, um, you know, if we're, if we're truly obeying what, what God says here, 
We should be asking ourselves always, how can I help others? How can I help my brother and sister in Christ grow? How can I bless them? How can I, how can I bring, bring uh, nourishment and feeding to my, my brother or sister? Uh, you know, if I, if I have an issue with somebody, I should go talk to that person for their benefit. Uh, you know, maybe invite that person for a cup of coffee, you know, get, get to know that person. Pray with them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Now, the third result, the third expectation of us as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, is attitude. And we're, uh, I'll, I'll be kind of short on this one because this is going to lead into uh, next week's sermon. But uh, namely, he says that we need to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Next week, we're going to get into uh, some theology about Jesus, about Christ. But, but for, for this sermon, suffice it to say that Paul holds Jesus Christ up as the supreme example of these matters that, that we're talking about. You know, this, this attitude Paul is describing here says is Christ's attitude. You know, we, we know how he thinks. We know what's important to him. We have God's word that tells us, John 15, 12, or yeah, John 15, 12 through 15 says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I've made known to you. We have his word. We have his instruction. Paul says we have his mind, his attitude. So we need to lay down our pride. Uh, Pride, pride deserves no territory in, in our lives. Uh, I want to read a quote from Richard Baxter. He, he wrote this in uh, the year 1656. It's, it's from a book called The Reformed Pastor. So he says, Oh, what a constant companion, what a tyrannical commander, what a sly and subtle insinuating enemy is this sin of pride. Is not pride the sin of devils, the firstborn of hell? Is it not that wherein Satan's image doth much consist? And is it to be tolerated in men who are so engaged against him and his kingdom as we are? The very design of the gospel is to abase us, and the word of grace is begun and carried on in humiliation. Humility is not the mere ornament of a Christian, but an essential part of the new creature. It's a contradiction in terms to be a Christian and not be humble. It says, as as we close, you know, let's just say we need to hear these things. We all do. We all struggle with this. Let's let's apply these truths to to our lives. Uh, James 
again says this, Do be, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. So we're, we're at a time, I think, in our, our nation. We're at a time in our, our church where these things are critical. We, we can pray for unity, but if we're not willing to humble ourselves and, and lay down our pride, I don't think that prayer is going to go very far. We can pray for success in our church, but without unity, I, I do believe we will uh, be very severely crippled and, and ineffective. Um, let's pray. Lord, I, I I do ask that you would um, give us hearts and, and minds to, to consider these matters, Lord, to take your instruction. Um, Lord, I I believe that uh, there, there are some of us who have, have sinned against each other. There are some of us who have put ourselves above others, who've, who've walked over others in, in our selfish ambition. Um, some of us, Lord, have, have acted to, to hurt others and, instead of heal them. Um, there are some of us who have uh, fostered division in, instead of unity, who've not cared about the affairs of others but have put our own affairs uh, up front, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that uh, each of us would, would learn to clothe ourselves in humility, as, as your word says, towards our, our brothers and sisters. Um, teach us, Lord, what, what it means to, uh, to die to self. Lord, to enable us to, to learn to, to function as a body. Uh, Lord, we're, we're all guilty of, of the sin of pride. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to um, we're going to remember our Lord in, in communion, and this is this is something I think that fits in in with this very well because one of the uh, important aspects of, of of the communion is our our communion together. You know, Paul talks about one loaf. And you know we we've got these little these little cups which don't really demonstrate that really well. But uh, let me have uh, Pete and Dan and Phil come up, please. D- Dan's gone. Um, Dan, the other Dan. Um, you know it's. It's good to remind ourselves what what the purpose of, of communion is. Uh, you know, it's to, to act, actively remember Christ and 
and what he did for us, what he accomplished through his uh, substitutionary death, and and to proclaim the sufficiency of of his sacrifice, his his death to to save sinners until he returns. And so this is both a a corporate exercise as well as a uh, an individual thing that we do. You know, we we take the the bread and the cup together, but it's also as individuals a time to to reflect on ourselves, asking ourselves uh, as as uh, Gretchen is going to play the uh, the harp and we pass out the elements. Uh, let's take time to examine ourselves and, and confess any un, in unresolved sin. Um, this is an ordinance that Jesus gave to the church. He didn't give this to the world. Those who are his, who've been adopted into God's family by believing in Jesus as Savior and receiving him. This is, if, if if that's you, we invite you to participate.